Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay and I'm joined once again by Samuel. How are you doing? Good bad, thank you, Rich. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. We had the joys of more Europa League action last night after watching classics between Man City and Dortmund, PSG and Bayern. It was Granada versus United and Samuel, it was a game that sort of delivered what we expected. United comfortable in the win, a few maybe shaky moments at the back, but all in all, a 2-0 win away from home. About as good as it gets really from United, but they did play quite a strong team to achieve that result. 2-0 away from home in a European knockout tie is, is always uh, the perfect result. It was it was far from a perfect performance. I mean, it, it was genuinely unwatchable at times. And I don't think anyone who was torn between watching the Masters and watching one of the Europa League games would have switched over from the Masters at all. The, the one piece of quality play uh, in the whole game uh, United took advantage of with that Brilliant pass from Lindelof. Rashford made it look ridiculously easy in the way he just killed the ball and uh, composed himself to, to to slot past the keeper. And I, I suppose going into the dying embers, I mean, it was a strange dynamic because it seemed like United were doing what Real Madrid did about uh, 10 years ago when they were deliberately getting suspended to miss the last group stage game. I think it was Ramos and, and Xabi Alonso. Um, they were, you know, there were three, three players got suspended for the next leg but of course they were only one nil up at the time that Shaw and McTominay and Maguire got booked I think um, but the, the second goal really must be the death knell for, for Granada I mean Granada were as unimpressive and unthreatening as I think we we suspected they'd be uh, what you suspect a, a team with Roberto Soldado uh, up front to, to be like uh, you know De Gea had some straight shots to handle handled them faultlessly uh, they, they weren't particularly testing I suppose you know, a, a more more anxious goalkeeper might have spilt them, but he did very well. With them, he was fine. The, the, the best player was 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 Lindelof. I thought def- his his defending in certain situations was was very very good, particularly when Maguire sold himself short and got into a spot of bother, and Lindelof covered expertly. Um, Rashford took his goal well. I, I just suppose that from United's perspective, it's good that going into next week's game that. Three players are getting rested because they're suspended. And I think they can probably afford to make one or two other changes other than De Gea probably coming back in for Dean Henderson because of the aggregate advantage and purely because Granada have, have, have done well just to get to the quarterfinals. Yeah, like you said, Sal, next week we might get to see the team that fans want to see this week really a bit more experimental up front. And like you said, it seems the only way Maguire can get rested if he is suspended anyway. Solskjaer, I think he said that, you know, the only thing which stopped it being a perfect result was those three suspensions you mentioned for sure. Maguire, McTominay. The second goal, do you, I mean, it's difficult because United, it's United, you know, there's always going to be a risk of a, of a Basak Shahir sort of mess up on the counter-attack where they can get a goal. But they really didn't ever have much to do. Even if United hadn't got a second goal, do you think there'd be in a position where next week you can play a weakened side, not a weak side, but a weakened side regardless? A rotated side, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine so. I think what when Solskjaer says like we, we pick a team we think can win, I think he's 
he's he's being honest about that and he's he's perfectly entitled to make changes against teams that they should be beating i mean if you come up against uh i mean they they played luton in september in the carabao cup you're not going to play your full strength side but obviously the team he put out everybody expected united to win and as long as there's a a competitive edge about it then there aren't going to be too many grumbles about um the team he puts out i suppose the one time he really aired there this season was in leipzig where he just put out just a defensive-minded side and united were three nil down after about an hour um and, and went out of the champions league that that was not a team that was set up to win that game uh whatsoever but i certainly think with with next week's game he can afford to make one or two other changes. I mean, they've got Burnley at the weekend, so it's not like it's a really it's, it's a really juicy game in the run-in. It's not like Liverpool at home or Leeds away or, or Tottenham away. That, that Those are the games that really stand out in, in this run-in. Leicester at home as well being another. But obviously, Burnley are a very, very resilient side and difficult to break down. So he, he will be making decisions with that in mind. He probably has made or is going to make decisions that he didn't necessarily have in mind before the game last night with a view to the Tottenham game because McTominay is obviously suspended for next Thursday's game. So maybe that means McTominay starts and Fred doesn't start against Tottenham. You could you could easily see that happening. But as as you said, it because they got that second goal, it, it does change the complexion of it. It was it was a pretty bloodless night, really. I mean, um, unfortunately, it's a competition that United don't want to be in. Their fans don't want them in. Uh, journalists don't want to cover them being in either. But that's where they are, and they could win it. And I think given just the sheer strength of the side last week. It's as if Solskjaer's had time to reflect on what he said about cup competitions three weeks ago. And since then, United have gone out of the FA Cup. And let's face it, if they finish second this season, the Premier League, and they win the Europa League, that is a really good season. And it's a really good season because it's enriched by actually, you know, returning to Manchester with a, a trophy under their arm. Yeah, exactly. It does seem that the Europa League, the possible Europa League success will be the, the defining success of the season, like you said. I mean, Solskjaer, you know, he, he's sort of given, like you said, these mixed messages in the past about what a trophy could mean. But I think everyone knows that, that ending that sort of hoodoo as well and that what could almost be a four-year run without a piece of silverware will, will be big for the team. It can be the springboard, you know. Solskjaer spoke in the past how big that 2006 League Cup win was for the side that went on to win the Champions League two years later. We're not saying United are going to win the Champions League in 2023, but, you know, stranger things have happened. They need to get that, that winning mentality back and that, and that hunger for success. Difficult one here to, to maybe analyse after the game, Samuel, but beforehand, lots of us were maybe hoping there'd be an Ahmad full debut, a Langer off the bench. United stayed pretty strong throughout. Do you understand why Solskjaer went so strong? I know you've already said that it is crucial for United now to go not only go as far as he can in the Europa League, but win it. But were you surprised that Rashford didn't get a rest, considering Solskjaer said that, you know, he wasn't ever going to play 90 minutes anyway? I suppose initially there's that element of surprise, but then you think it, about it, and it pretty much isn't because Solskjaer fibs about injuries and, and team news. And in fairness, he didn't really fib about Rashford. He said he couldn't play 90 minutes, which, I mean, the obvious conclusion you draw from that is that the player doesn't start, they start on the bench. And particularly after what happened at Leicester, where he gave a couple of players starts who could only play an hour and it just badly backfired. Another manager wouldn't have taken that risk. Fortunately for Solskjaer, that, that risk was vindicated because Rashford got the goal. To me, it wasn't a surprise that Ahmad didn't play or didn't get a run out or or, or Langer didn't get a run out. If they were three or four nil up, then fair enough, throw them on, give them a chance. I think Ahmad is is 
an exception there and that he, he is someone they've got to start using more often when games are tight, where he can stretch play, where you, you can make the most of him. He came on at half time against AC Milan and he scored within five minutes or something like that. So I think he has been underused of late and it, he's a wild card option, certainly for, for this running. And I think the only... I suppose when you look at United's Premier League season, certainly the run-in, there's there's not a lot of jeopardy there. I think everybody knows they're going to be in the Champions League group stage draw in August. Uh, that They're not going to fall out of the top four. It's just a question of where they finish second, third or fourth, barring an, an almighty collapse, which just doesn't really seem foreseeable. And you just hope during that run that he does give Ahmad a start, maybe more than just one start. He, he uses it as an opportunity to give other uh, young players playing time that they've they've been denied because it, even though he seems to have a core squad of about 23 or 24 players you can whittle down the list of players he genuinely trusts to maybe about 16 players if that the fact that the, the clear and obvious back four was the back four that started in in Granada was another indication as to what Solskjaer thinks of some of the, the players he has in reserve. And of, of course, there's the mitigation of, of Bailly being unavailable, but Tunzibi's, you know, had his confidence dented over a number of months, you know, mainly those two performances against Basak Sahir and Sheffield United. There's been the online abuse to take as well. Brandon Williams really needed a loan, should have been allowed to go out on loan in January. That's not happened. Tellez, I thought, had a pretty good half last night, but United are a far better team with with Luke Shaw playing and, and Shaw's probably been the player of the year. So that that doesn't that's that's not a fair reflection on Tellez. It's just how well Shaw has done. And looking at how it panned out last night, United, as I said, they because it was such a bloodless game and because it was still one nil with ten minutes to go, five minutes to go United weren't going to go hell for leather. And because the referee was so card happy, pretty much with only United players, it seemed, uh, there was always a risk of someone getting sent off, which was why Pogba came off and Matic went on. And then Matic got a yellow card. Uh, the, the refereeing was was bizarre, to say the least. There were some very obvious bookings for Granada players that he was just ignoring. Yet, if a United player committed a foul, he was very, very quick to show them the yellow card and... I think on another night, had United actually lost the game, I think a lot more would have been made of the refereeing. Yeah, I think particularly if United had only won one nil, I think it could have been more of a, a talking point post-match, particularly with key mm. players out of the second leg. And, you know, if United were then to have a shock defeat at home and you could say, well, it's because Shaw wasn't playing, McTighe wasn't playing, Maguire wasn't playing, and then it, it would be an ongoing issue. But yeah, it was really strange. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully for United, touch wood, it should hopefully not be an issue which which causes too much pain. And in a weird way, like you said, Sam, it might almost work in their advantage if they're comfortable against Granada next week because you've got the cushion of having players rested, and, you know, given an extra sort of midweek off ahead of a, a pivotal run-in at the end of the season. I guess just before we move on to what's ahead, you mentioned Ahmad there. Have you been surprised in terms of how little football we've seen from Ahmad yet? Because whenever he's come on, he's, he's done well, he's offered something. But every game we almost argue this could be the perfect chance to unleash him. And now it's not happened. We'll, I expect we'll see him in the second leg. But when are we going to see him maybe unleash into a, a game where there is some pressure on rather than these situations where it seems to be maybe a bit of an easier game for him to go on and influence. Solskjaer's and Manchu's still quite often caught between two stools in that although he preaches an attacking style of football, uh, he can be very risk aversive. And certainly some of his best results as, as United manager have been through through pragmatism. Uh, he's, he's 
gone away from the back three mainly this season, apart from um, apart from PSG where it worked brilliantly and Leipzig where it worked badly. Whereas last season, the back three underpinned some of United's best results, certainly in the Premier League. Yet you look at the Palace game last month, I know people are trying to forget it or people might have forgotten it already, but it's a game that you think, well, put Ahmad on, it's nil-nil, it's dreadful to watch, give, give him a run out. But sometimes the occasion just doesn't call for it. And I thought his management uh, in, in Spain was was absolutely fine. I thought it was a big improvement on the last quarterfinal when obviously he just mismanaged it left, right and centre against Leicester, whether it was playing players who weren't going to complete 90 minutes, putting too many players on at the same time, disrupting the rhythm, retaining two of Fred McTominay and Matic in midfield when United needed to be a lot more creative. I thought the team he put out was, you know, had intent about it. Okay, he is... He is clearly overplaying certain players and just looking at United. I think since the Newcastle game, when they won 3-1, they've played 10 games since and they've only scored two in three of those games, which, I mean, it's not like that's a a shocking statistic at all. It it has felt like that watching United over the last month or so. They've they've not been particularly watchable since uh, Pogba got injured. Obviously, he's come back. The, the one exception was, of course, the City game where they controlled that very well. They were good, they were pretty good in the first half. They were excellent in the second half of that one. But they've struggled to maintain that performance level. And I suppose that's Solskjaer's United in a microcosm in that against the elite, very, more often than not, maybe not so much this season, but they've still got that, that habit of uh, coming up with those kind of performances and results. And they are still associated with that, even though their record against the big six has been, has been pretty poor this season. And although this running does feel quite hollow because there are no supporters, because essentially in the Premier League, they're only going for a second place finish, which however you frame it, it, it feels hollow. It doesn't feel like much of an achievement. We've been here before three years ago where finishing second was, you know, understandably by and large derided because City had won the league by about 19 points, I think it was that season. You're not really going to get much much excitement by finishing second this season. And unfortunately, games like Liverpool at home, Leeds away, Tottenham away, juicy games for a run-in, they don't feel that way because there are no supporters there and because United aren't going for the title either. And they're pretty comfortable in the top four as well. So that that sense of jeopardy just isn't there. And the Europa League, if they do win it, the feeling, the emotion around it is going to be incomparable to 2017, where their their season rested on that that final against Ajax, their season would have been a, was a success because they won the Europa League final and it was the first time they'd ever won the UEFA Cup and it was played two nights after the attack on on, on the Manchester Arena. So you're never going to have that feeling. That that was a pretty special occasion for United. It's unfortunately for United, through no fault of themselves, it's, it's not special without supporters in terms of the Europa League. And of course, it's a competition they're only in because they went out of the Champions League. So it, it's been a strange season and I suppose appropriately it's it's shaping up to be a strange running as well for United. Yeah, like I said, so it does seem a bit numb this season and even in terms of last year's Europa League, it was more of a journey and the fact that fans had been there for some of the games made it seem more of a maybe attainable trophy and one we wanted to win. But the fact that there's been no fans at any United 
games this season. Other, I think it was just that West Ham one, wasn't it? It's just been an odd, odd feeling, and it's yeah, like you said, too hard to get excited for the Europa League at the best of times, particularly in the certain circumstance. Interesting though, what you said about United's big game approach, and of course, one of those juicy ties is Tottenham this weekend. Solskjaer will be looking for an element of revenge. You expect after that six-one humiliating result earlier in the season. But what do you think United's approach for the game should be? Because like you said, it's no secret that United. For these games seem better suited to playing on the break. Of course, there's that fine Wembley win against Spurs where it was Pogba to Rashford. United sort of seemed to catch Tottenham on the break and they were they were great that night. But this Tottenham side, you know, they have some world-class players in there, likes of Harry Kane, uh, etc. But they're a team that are gettable. So what would you do if you were the United manager yourself? Would you go and set up shop to hit them on the break or would you just go and play your own game and go for an expansive style? Uh, the latter. I think they need to you know, take the game Spurs start on the front foot, like they did, ironically, in the 6-1 trouncing um, in October. They they started that game brilliantly. They won a penalty inside the first 30 seconds or whatever it was. And unfortunately, their afternoon peaked with 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 Bruno Fernandes scoring, scoring that penalty. Tottenham are a, a side that, that they're biggest scalps this season have been where they've hit teams on the break. They, they did it very, very effortlessly against Arsenal. Arsenal isn't the feather in one's cap that that it used to be for managers, but it was still a a pretty impressive win. The United one, obviously, it was just a really surreal day in in English footballing that that happened. And then when I got home, I found out that Aston Villa were 6-2 or 5-2 up against Liverpool and ended up winning 7-2. It just was almost if you you know, I'd been transplanted to a parallel universe. It, it was just, as I said, a really, really, really surreal day. T- Tottenham since December have not not been particularly good at all, really. It's it's remarkable that they could, should have got back into the top four last week. I think that's just a reflection of the standard, the lowly standard in the Premier League this season and, and what a peculiar season it, it has been where most of it, it's felt like a, a level playing field and you've got a lot of teams still cobbled together vying to qualify for the Champions League and and West Ham are somehow uh, fourth and above Chelsea, above uh, Tottenham and, and, and above Liverpool as well. But I just think the way that Tottenham are, are geared to play with, I mean, Son will come back into the 11, you'd think he came on as a sub at, at Newcastle last week, but you, you'd think with Kane and Son, I mean, you've always got a chance because as you said, they are they are two world-class players. I think they are two players that would improve pretty much any team on the planet. Son's been a bit out of sorts in, in the last two or three months, but I think Kane is just such an impressive player. I think whoever he plays under, whatever the level, he just gets better. And and he is, you know, he improved under Pochettino, he's improved under Gareth Southgate, and he's improving as well under Jose Mourinho now. So when you've got that quality and you've got, just in terms of talent players like, Ali and, and Bale off the bench if they fancy it that, that they can be a pretty devastating side but that Tottenham defence is probably the worst Mourinho defence we've ever seen Davinson Sanchez with every week you can see why Mourinho targeted him in the Europa League final in 2017 I think he's probably just about the worst centre-half Mourinho's had since Calibularu's at Chelsea and it was horrible that again predictably like Liverpool players this week like United players recently he was subjected to racist abuse um, after a bad performance at Newcastle that's that's just a that's a really sad reality that 
black players are having to deal with at the moment um, regarding Premier League teams. But just looking at his performances objectively, he has not been a good enough centre-half for Tottenham. Alderweireld looks past it. Just whoever they play in that back four, it's gettable. And that's without taking into account Lloris, who I think has just not been a, ever been a particularly stellar goalkeeper. I think if he was a truly world-class goalkeeper, or if he just was a world-class goalkeeper, he wouldn't have been at Tottenham for nearly nine years. You know, I suppose you could say the same about Kane, but it's 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 a, there's a bit more mitigation there given uh, Tottenham's propensity for for tying down big players on big contracts and, and long contracts as well. But Tottenham are just very very gettable, and it it is worth the risk. You might get done on the break by by Son and Kane, and and, and Dombele I think has had a pretty decent season as well. And you've got Hoyberg Shield in the back four, but you, you can't. I really don't think it justifies playing on the break against that defence. That defence is just so, so gettable. Yeah, of course. United can't show them too much respect, and particularly the fact that United are second in the Premier League table. If they really want to show that they have progressed as much as they're saying off the pitch, then they need to go to these sort of games and, and play their own style. I guess the question then, Samuel, is if we know that the Tottenham defence has a vulnerability about it, how do United actually exploit that in terms of the selection up front? Edison Cavani seems like the natural fit as, as the number nine, the only real standout one at the club. But as you've reported today, you know, with Solskjaer's quotes after the match, that he's got so much uncertainty around his future. Is he really the player United need to be relying on in these big games? No, he isn't. I mean, the irony with Cavani, not the irony, sorry, the um, acute, the quirk about his season is that he has literally scored against three clubs. He scored seven goals, but three of them were against Everton. I think three were against Southampton. The only other one was against Fulham when, when they won in January. So although... I think up until about February, you'd have said he was having a pretty impressive season and you'd have encouraged United to extend his his contract. Then he got injured. Then he was declared available for certain games, but declaring himself unavailable. Then that became official uh, when United announced the travelling squad for Milan. And two hours later, they had to say, oh, actually, Edinson's decided he, he doesn't fancy it. He, he doesn't feel fit enough for it. And all I'd say with... Solskjaer's comments about Cavani's future now is that it's it's worth watching the video that accompanies it because I think that gives the context that this is only going one way, which is towards the exit door. I mean, his father has said that he wants to leave. Cavani's not knocked that down. I think he Instagram post he came up with, he said he was proud to play for United, which doesn't mean he doesn't want to play for United after this season. You know, he as I said, I think that the decision has pretty much been made there and when when Solskjaer was asked whether there's any, any indication what was going to happen with Cavani next season or whether he had had any indication he just replied yeah and he thought well, okay he's off then and then he was asked to give any clarification for that and he refused to and it all became a bit mumble mumbo jumbo and Solskjaer ties himself in knots with these things where he, he just starts kind of like rambling really and, and not really shedding any light. And it's just really strange that United operate this way. You've got City, who's greatest goal scorer and servant of a decade. They've they've announced that he's leaving at the end of the season. United signed Cavani, who could could end up being at United for only seven months and has scored seven goals. Um, and there's a 34-year-old and they're, I mean, an iron over whether he's staying or not. I think everybody knows that he's probably going to go. And I don't see really the harm in in making that announcement before the end of the season it's it's a good statement of intent but as i said united operate differently to city but you know perhaps they should operate more like city because then they might might start winning the premier league title again yeah, exactly. And I know it's maybe a cliche for fans to say, just just do what City do. But it really is true, like you said, Aguero going City have just you know, accepted that. 
made it public and then they move on from that. United, one way or another, just need to address this Kamai situation. You know, he was a free agent that United took a chance on yeah. last October. They don't owe anything to him, really. If he's not going to stay, then just say he's not going to stay and move on from it because United, you know, they're going to need investment even if he stays or goes and they just need to be ruthless and take that next step. Like you said, Sam, if they want to cut that gap on Man City, which at the moment doesn't seem very likely. Um, we're going to the Tottenham game this weekend then. What type of team would you go for? I mean, there's a few positions maybe up for grabs. I mean, centre-backs choose themselves because Baye's out. The midfield selection's interesting. Then the forward line as well. I might even just resist asking you about the goalkeeper because I don't think fans want to talk about that again, do they? Uh, I don't think so, no. Uh, I mean, Solskjaer said he'll probably pick the team on, on Sunday morning because of the, the preparations. Uh, the preparations have been compromised a bit by the timing of the Granada match and that United stayed overnight in Spain. Saturday is a recovery day and then they're travelling to London on Saturday evening. So they're not going to really... Have- probably have one training session before the Tottenham game unless they can arrange for a recreational ground somewhere in London to to train at which is what they tried to do before the Fulham game in January but from what I've been told previously it's it's not um it's not unusual of Solskjaer to pick a team on on the morning of a game he has done that before this season he's also picked teams the night before a game sometimes it, it switches I don't think there's 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 too much of an issue with that, if at all, among the United players. I remember, I think Rio Fernand was probably the first player to break ranks with uh, in the David Moyes season when he said he was being driven into a madman by Moyes not naming the team until the morning of the game, and that was the first sign of trouble, really, or public trouble from one of the United players during during Moyes's brief brief spell as manager. I think although Cavani clearly isn't committed to United and probably won't commit beyond the end of this season, he is the logical player to to start in up front. I thought Daniel James was better on the left against Granada, but I, I certainly don't think he really did enough to to force his way into the team. You know, it's it's horses for courses at the moment because the the attack is even without Marshall, who isn't has not had a very good season at all. It's probably been his worst. It, it does look depleted, but that's that's the position they're in. That's you know that's the risk they've taken, and that's probably why they they should have been given uh, they should be given Ahmad more minutes just to get him up to speed, to give him the opportunities to assert himself and to come into the reckoning for for games like this. But everybody knows he's he's not going to start against Tottenham. So look, looking ahead to it, it probably I, I'd probably bet on Cavani if I was betting. I suppose the caveat with that is that. Tottenham targeted United's wingers in the 6-1, which were Rashford and Greenwood. And you'd probably say that it'll be Rashford and Greenwood again on Sunday. The the feeling at at Tottenham was that because Rashford and Greenwood aren't the most disciplined defensively, it left the fullbacks exposed and they preyed on the fullbacks. I suppose what you'd say to that is that Luke Shaw is a completely different player from the one who tried to amputate Lucas Moura that day. And Wan-Bissaka hasn't had many days as bad as he did against Tottenham in October either. So Tottenham might still try and approach the game with that strategy, but they're coming up against much more accomplished fullbacks than they did in October. Yeah, like I said, it's going to be a very different sort of test. The two sides have come a long way since then. So I guess we'll probably go Henderson and Goal, Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire, Shaw, McTominay, Pogba, Fernandez, then Greenwood, Rashford and Cavani up top. Would you say that's about what to expect? I think that's a fair one. I think because McTominay's suspended for Thursday, there's every chance he will now start the game on Sunday because otherwise it's a bit much for Fred to play 
Sunday, Thursday, maybe another Sunday. I know Solskjaer's done that with other players, but he seems to be a lot more comfortable with with rotating in midfield. So, yeah, I think that's a fair shout. I guess the one question which is maybe less easy to, to predict, though, is the result of the game. Samuel, if I had to ask you, I know you said you weren't, weren't going to bet on this one, and I'm still going to ask you anyway. What what Not the exact scoreline, but what result are you expecting this weekend? I think it, if I had to bet, or oh, sorry, not bet, if I had to predict, then I'd probably say a score draw just because I think Tottenham have got enough in their locker to to trouble United. United have certainly got the skill set to trouble that Tottenham defence. I mean, Joe Linton scored against that that Tottenham defence last week. That that just shows you what, what bad shape they're in at the moment. And there's the whole Ferrari over Reno's handling of, of Alderweireld's absence because he wasn't in the squad at Newcastle and Reno said he hadn't had a COVID test, but Alderweireld was filmed in training I think on the Thursday last week it's not very often that Mourinho uh, trips over himself like that but clearly there's there's an underlying issue going on there but given that there's still a lot to play for for Tottenham as I said they they could still get the top four which seems a bit bit bizarre really given the their form in recent months uh but I, I'd, I'll just go with a score draw and a score draw is not a bad result for United either I think they're although Leicester aren't too far behind they're, they're in a comfortable position you'd still think that they they should be finishing second no exactly it does seem like the top four space is all but secured now in a few weeks probably will be a certainty as well I mean the teams around them are dropping points like you said it's not even as if if United were to slip up that there's necessarily a team who's going to come and really punish them for it never mind three or four who would knock them out of there so it's going to be an interesting one to see but yeah I think I, I go along with Samuel I think either way it'll be a narrow one this time around I think the goal either way a draw wouldn't be a surprise either but we shall wait and see and we'll be back early next week as well to analyze what's happened and we'll even look ahead to that second leg against Granada so that just leads me to say thank you very much for joining us Samuel thank you Rich thank you as always and thank you very much for listening as well as always please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already those ratings really do help us out and we'll see you next time on the Manchester is Red podcast